Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. Uh, well, this is the day that Kevin McCarthy has wrought. We have the January 6th committee beginning uh, the hearings, uh, televised hearings. And uh, Kevin McCarthy has no appointments, uh, no appointees on that committee. And he's sort of off at the side up in the cheap sheet, uh, cheap seats, <laughs> throw, throwing, throwing his juvenile uh, jabs. I actually wrote in my newsletter this morning as a mental exercise, trying to imagine how he could have handled this any worse than he did. So we're going to get into that. Uh, hey, who who better to talk about this than with uh, with Amanda Carpenter, our colleague and a columnist for The Bulwark. Amanda, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. How about you? Well, it occurs to me that maybe maybe Kevin McCarthy's really not that smart. Is that, yeah. I'm really just, is that, is that possible? <laughs> work with me here. Is that possible? I feel like this is a recurring topic with us. Yeah. So I, I, I guess I, I'm, I'm watching this and, and thinking, okay, so we are having this very powerful testimony today. And I, you, you've been tweeting about this. This has got to be, I mean, what a PR disaster for the Republicans, that you have all of these law enforcement officers who are testifying, talking about the violence. Um, I am as prepared as anybody to criticize r uh, Democrats for not being good at messaging, but damn, this is this is effective stuff today, isn't it? Yeah, this is the Democrats are doing a great job so far. I mean, the reason why Kevin McCarthy has no representation on this committee isn't only because he helped uh, destroy the concept of a bipartisan, evenly split commission that would be handled outside of Congress, but because he pulled his members. He pulled his own members last week. Um, as, as we know, Nancy Pelosi rejected the idea of having the double Jim twins on, on the committee and Jim Jordan and Jim Banks, but she was fine to leave the other three. He pulled the other three. That was his decision. And so now he, they are just running around like chickens with their heads cut off around Capitol Hill trying to find a way to distract from this thing. And I, I watched some of the stupid press conference they had this morning where they want to lay all the blame on the security officials, Capitol Hill police officers, Nancy Pelosi, who didn't supposedly secure the Capitol. I mean, I, I can understand why some people may want to hear more on this, but that that has been asked and answered. The Senate did an entire investigation about the security lapses, um, because it was Mitch McConnell's strategy to say, okay, well, we will, we will look at the security failures and we will let the criminal justice system handle, you know, the people who broke into the Capitol and caused violence. But aside from that, we're not really doing anything. And I would encourage people to go read that report because there's a lot of interesting things in it. There are questions that need to be answered. Um, namely, why did Capitol Police not have riot gear? that day uh why was yeah. the national guard not deployed for Legit three hours who had the gear to assist yeah. them? um but but somehow i don't think those are questions kevin mccarthy is interested in in, in finding the answers to now you had a you had a good tweet yesterday you said uh, when these patriots speak tomorrow i hope uh, i hope you remember that all of trump's allies in congress who didn't want you to hear those stories uh you probably won't need to ask why now, this is something to uh, just kind of you know, recall 
that the Republican Party is now, with the exception of Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, almost completely invested in not doing this investigation and not hearing these folks. Now, we, we can talk about whether it's going to make a difference or not, but uh, you know, Pol- Politico's playbook kind of you know had the same reaction I had, which is this testimony is a public relations disaster for Republicans. Let me just read what they wrote. The GOP likes to boast that they back the blue one of the party of law and order, but in snuffing out the possibility of a nonpartisan commission to probe the January 6th attacks, McCarthy effectively brushed aside pleas from law enforcement to authorize the investigation. Now, after pulling out from the select committee, Republicans, except for Cheney and Kinzinger, will be absent as the officers speak. And then they ask a really kind of intriguing question. Is McCarthy prepared for blowback from the orange guy down at Mar-a-Lago? Ask yourself this, they write. Do you think McCarthy's complaints about Pelosi will mollify Donald Trump when he turns on his TV and sees no Republicans on the dais defending him? That's an interesting point. Well, is is McCarthy prepared for blowback from Trump? I think all he does is manage blowback from Mm. Trump. Mm. That's why they're scurrying around trying to do something to draw some media attention this morning. And you're going to have, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar stand with the insurrection insurrectionists at another press event later today. I, I think it's all Kevin McCarthy concerns himself with. I don't think Kevin McCarthy can think beyond the next 48 hours because he is worried every second of the day that Donald Trump is going to turn against Republicans on Capitol Hill and absolutely crush any chance they have of maintaining that Trump base. Yeah. Now, speaking of karma, I mean, there, there would be a certain cosmic justice that, that after all of this sort of craven sycophancy, that in fact, Trump does turn on McCarthy at some point, that, that nothing he has done. I mean, you know, that's it's inevitable, got, Charlie. It, it's inevitable. It, 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 it feels <laughs> that way. So speaking of of karma, I, I just I did think this split screen, you know, I, I you're describing the split screen today where you have these these officers with this very compelling testimony. And then you have the politicians, you know, the Elise Stefanics and the and the Paul Gosars and, and Kevin McCarthy. It's it, it's it is not a good look. But the other split screen we got yesterday was this juvenile response by Kevin McCarthy um, about Adam Kinzinger and Liz uh, Cheney. Aren't they kind of Pelosi Republicans? And I just thought it was interesting, Cheney's response to that, where she said, that is just childish. We have serious work. Let me just play for you a soundbite. This is this is Liz Cheney uh, on ABC Good Morning this, this morning, talking with George Stephanopoulos. Liz Cheney. You know, this is uh, this is absolutely not a game. This is deadly serious. There are some in my party, including Leader McCarthy, who continue to uh, act as though this is about partisan politics. I think it's really sad. Uh, I think it's a disgrace. You know, this Capitol was attacked. It was attacked while we were counting electoral votes. And the American people deserve the truth. They deserve to know exactly what happened. They deserve to know minute by minute uh, what decisions were being made both here and in the White House. And they deserve to get to the bottom of it. And we have to make sure that it never happens again. We've got to make sure that we defend uh, our republic uh, and that we defend the rule of law. So who's the adult in the room right now, Amanda? Uh, It is just a thing of beauty (laughs) to watch Liz Cheney knock these big, fat, meaty softballs out of the park every time. And her demeanor is just exactly right. It it was in her opening statement today. She doesn't play into the theatrics. She doesn't, you know, get overheated. 
She just states the facts and she's in complete command and control of her positioning. Um, she, she always lays out the argument with such clarity that you can't help but pay attention and you walk away with complete understanding of what's going on. And so yeah. I, I hope McCarthy does this all day long because every chance Liz Cheney gets to speak on this, it's a home run. Well, see, I, I, I agree with you. And I think, that, again, this is part of this irony because, you know, Kevin McCarthy's big, big move this year was, you know, making Liz Cheney an unperson, you know, throwing her out of GOP leadership uh, because she wouldn't go along with the big lie. I mean, he was hoping or assuming that this would make her irrelevant, right? You know, he would ostracize mm -hmm. her and she'd be irrelevant. Well, today she is center stage. She's the ranking, ranking member of that select committee. And so McCarthy strikes her down, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and she somehow become more powerful than ever. And I think it's interesting. I mean, the Democrats are seeking to elevate the role of, you know, Representative Liz Cheney on the committee, explaining, you know, the the attack. Um, and McCarthy's sort of, you know, out there pouting and, you know, railing from the sidelines. Um by the way, I, I, I dropped a, a pop culture reference in my newsletter today. I'm not sure that everybody got it. That you know, th th I think this exchange was political karma. You know, Cheney's the adult in the room, while while McCarthy reminds us that his mind is a barren attic cluttered with bumper sticker slogans written by Derek Zoolander. Now, you as <laughs> you a Zoolander fan? I mean, you have to know the Derek Zoolander reference to realize how cold that was. I mean, I, I can't say I've ever, like, paid attention to the movie, but I know who he is. He, yeah. The goofy guy with the duck face, right? Yeah, I mean, and yes. It's Ben Stiller. <laughs> well, that is, yeah. So this is the thing with Kevin McCarthy, that Kevin McCarthy's playing this game, and maybe he is going to end up as as the speaker. But, but I have to think that Republicans are looking at themselves going... Whew, be careful what you wish for, because this is this this guy, this guy is not deft. Um, but isn't this part of the the bigger phenomenon that we're seeing? So anytime somebody steps out of line with Trump, that Republican gets named a never Trumper. You might as be a Democrat. You're a Pelosi Republican. You're basically Hillary Clinton, Liz Cheney. Yeah. And so Liz Cheney and others in that position make the reasonable calculation. Well, if there are moderate level-headed Democrats I can work with on issues I care about, then I will. Then I will. And then that becomes the governing coalition. You're seeing that happen with the select committee. Um, we've seen it happen in other respects. And I don't want to read too much into it. But if this is a path that Kevin McCarthy wants to go down, then he will have a party full of Marjorie Taylor Greens, Paul Gosar's, Herschel Walker will be their candidate. Insane. down in Georgia, and anyone with any bit of experience, competence, and gravitas will find a way to work with the Democrats. Okay, so just on on, on that point, um, Kevin McCarthy is completely okay with that because you, you have people like, you know, Paul Gosar who are putting out these just, you know, you know, flatly racist uh, statements and Kevin McCarthy is just looking the other way. You know, all of his energy is, is focused on Liz Cheney, you know, a rock ribbed conservative, somebody who has been a Republican loyalist, has a more conservative voting record than I think Kevin McCarthy, but on this one issue, she's mm -hmm. cast into outer darkness. So I suppose the basic question is, will any of this actually make a difference? Republicans are completely invested in discrediting this, ignoring this as much as possible. And of course, they will have their echo chamber. So does all of this 
make a difference? Will it move hearts and minds? Will we see any shift in the polls based on this? Is anything that's going to come out of this likely to change the attitude of the Trump base? Uh, I have two points. Number one, in doing this, Kevin McCarthy has made unwavering allegiance to Trump through the lens of January 6th yeah. and the big election lie, yep. a litmus test for membership in the Republican Party. Yes. That is extreme. That has happened. That was not the case a few weeks ago. Uh, McCarthy may have been angling to do that, but now, now that is a fact. Um, I watched the Arizona rally over the weekend that Trump spoke at, and speaker after speaker after speaker pledged their commitment to the big election lie and taking action upon it. That is something that is absolutely happening, not only on Capitol Hill, but in the states, and it will impact uh, primary races and general election contests through 2022. Uh, more immediately, I will say, Fox News is showing the opening part of this hearing. Interesting. There are news outlets showing it. There may be viewers who are seeing that for the very first time. Um, I wouldn't expect to get it into primetime. I don't really want to speculate. But morning watchers, you know, the, the committed people who get up and turn on Fox and Friends and leave it on hmm. until hmm. Tucker Carlson is on at night, will we'll see that video perhaps for the first time and see Liz Cheney, the daughter of Dick Cheney, talk about why she feels the need to serve on that committee. I mean, it may be the first time those people actually hear that argument and see what happened. Um, yes. And and I think it's always dangerous to underestimate the power of the, the videotape of, of television. Look, I, I think we sometimes tend to focus too much on what will the Trump base think about all of this. Okay, so they're locked into the alternative reality. They've already made the decision on this. But there, but there are these swing voters. There are soft Republicans. Um, there are the independent voters, and uh, this is going to be aimed at. This is going to be aimed at them. And now, your 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 piece about Arizona was was really excellent because it really, I think, encapsulated the way in which the the focus of the GOP and the focus of Trumpism it continues to narrow and narrow and narrow. And there was that great quote from Trump where he says. This is the most important issue. This is the only issue that matters, which is the lie, which is the routers, which is the Jewish space lasers flipping the election or some such bullshit as that. Um, it's it's more important than the border. It's more important than anything else. I thought that was very revealing because it, it articulates a shrinking party, but also the shrinking focus of the party and the shrinking, it's its down to this, this very specific thing that is the litmus test, that it's not just enough to be in favor of America first or a secure border or fiscal responsibility or whatever other things the conservatives used to claim. It's now you have to believe this big lie, the fact that the election was was stolen and, and they're demanding fealty to that. And I thought it was interesting that you had a, a Republican state senator who's running for secretary of state who's not willing to go along with all this. She appears at this rally. I don't know why they scheduled her or why she showed up, but they booed her off the stage, which again strikes me as in a state like Arizona, um, they're in the process of subtraction rather than addition when it comes to voters, aren't they? Yeah, big time. I, and I, too, was a little surprised to see Trump say that, not not to hear him say that, but the focus on this issue, because when you listen to a lot of these Trump speeches, it's like this rambling list of like 20, 10 or 20 uh, grievances he needs to air. 
But this was a topic he kept returning to throughout, it was nearly two hours, uh, speech again and again. Uh, he had the crowd booing Mike Pence, booing Mitch McConnell, booing the Republican governor, Doug Ducey, all because they didn't do enough to help him, um, you know, steal and, the and, election. And, and we got to throw in, and booing USA women's soccer team. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I this, mean is, this is something that I've never seen before. Conservative media and conservative politicians rooting against the U.S. teams at the Olympic because whatever, because wokeness or triggering the libs. But to have the former president leading the crowd, basically egging them on to boo the women's soccer team. Wow. Yeah, I, I wasn't surprised by that just because I've seen so much loathe and hating for the kneeling in the crowds and in particular vitriol against Megan Rapinoe, uh, who spoke out against the president. I That to me was the least of it. But everyone seems to be really fascinated by that angle of the story. I was asked about it on CNN the other day. and I'm just like, what are my thoughts on it? I don't think these people appreciate being used as political pawns. I mean, look at Tom Brady rubbing it in his face when he went to go speak uh at, at, with Joe Biden at the White House. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Exactly. But, okay. but the thing, can we return to the, the woman sure. who was booed off stage? Yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah, I think, you know, when we talk about will this stuff kind of matter, I, I do think there are still many Republicans outside of national and federal office who are sort of playing catch up to the idea that you can't play both sides when it comes to Trump. And I, I view this woman, her name is Michelle Ugenti Rita, um, I think she thought she could appease the Trump base enough by going along with the audit and doing other things. But when it came to these election changes, they wanted to pass in the Arizona um, legislature. She opposed it because she thought there were show votes. And that's the reason she was booed. And so you can kind of just see the recognition set in as she, she gets on stage. She isn't even allowed to speak because the audience is already primed to hate her, that this is not going to work. And so when we ask, will this make a difference? I, I think yes, because there are still many Republicans. I mean, smart people who have experience in politics, who are have offices, who are still waking up to this fact and having to make the choice about where they stand when it comes to Trump, even though we are six months out of Biden's inauguration. It, it is it is watching the leopards eating people's faces party, isn't it? <laughs> like I really was sure that the leopard would not eat my face. I really, and it's one by one. Yeah. It sort of like dawns on them. I've gone yeah. like ninety eight percent of the way here, but this next two percent is totally crazy. But but they're demanding that I do this. Okay, so you mentioned they're realizing that they can't necessarily have it both ways. Um, there, there are two stories that I'm I'm obsessed with. I'm an obvious, well, uh, three stories actually. Uh, the the January sixth committee, which I think is going to be uh, very very interesting today, but also the uh, the George P. Bush story. I mean, wow, Amanda, are you into uh, it more than Jonathan last? <laughs> I am. I, JVL and I are right there. So just for people who are just tuning in, George P. Bush is Jeb Bush's son. And, uh, you know, he, despite the fact that Trump has insulted and demeaned Jeb over and over and over again, George P. Bush wants to run for attorney general in Texas. And he decided to go off on, on, on one of the great suck-up uh, campaigns of all time. And it was cringeworthy. He sucked up to Trump. He ignored the attacks on his own family. He even put out, you know, things like beer koozies, 
you know, showing Trump saying, you're the one Bush I like. You're the only guy that got it right. I mean, he's willing to throw his own family under the bus, did everything. I mean, demeaned himself in every conceivable way. And last night, Trump basically said, fuck you and endorsed Ken Paxton, the incumbent attorney general, um, the corrupt, stupid incumbent attorney general. But the one he's been he's under indictment, right? He's actually under federal indictment. But yes, Paxton did the one thing that mattered was he filed that bogus yep. lawsuit to try to overturn the election. I mean, it was laughed out of the Supreme Court. It was a complete joke. But in Trump world, that was the one. That's the one thing. So George Bush, George P. Bush. Yeah, he I never did, had a chance. He utter, never the, had a chance against Ken Paxton, given that Ken Paxton got 17 other attorneys general to sign on to that ridiculous lawsuit to cancel the votes in the swing states that Joe Biden won. Nothing compares. Nothing compares. That was central in keeping the big election lie going. It was central in putting that question to the Supreme Court. And I, I know a lot of our listeners look at that and said it never had a chance, but I can tell you when I was talking to family members in the December months, like right before that happened, they were sure that the Supreme Court was going was going to yeah. take it. And then when they didn't, they said, well, they were cowards. They were afraid. They were afraid. And now we need to get, you know, better members. I mean, it, it was stunning how your impactful. Your, your family that, events must be fun. I mean, it's. <laughs> we, <laughs> All right, we won't go I there. Mean, okay. No, it's kind of, but it's interesting right now because I, I will say I walk into rooms with people who before we would talk politics extremely easily, but this was the very first time it was the like looming in the room and I was perceived as the squish. Okay, great. Wonderful. Yeah, fun times. Hey, let's take a quick break and we'll be back with Amanda Carpenter in just a moment. Hey, Charlie Sykes here. Uh, just a quick reminder, if you sign up for Bulwark Plus, you will have access to our morning newsletters to JVL's Triad, uh, as well as our whole suite of podcasts. This one will remain free, but if you want to listen to the secret podcast or uh, participate in our live streams uh, or others like the Next Level podcast, uh, please consider joining Bulwark Plus. Hey, we're back with more from Amanda Carpenter. By the way, you can read Amanda's stuff um, on at, at the Bulwark. Uh, she's got a great uh, Twitter feed, and you can watch her on CNN as well. So, a, again, so this is Jeb Bush. I can't get over this. I just, I don't understand. The, the, I, I'm a, look. I understand ambition. I I understand cynicism. But you know, if if a guy calls your dad, you know, clueless, lightweight, not a man, too soft, sad and pathetic, puppet, low energy, an embarrassment to his family, sad sack, spoiled child, weak, totally stiff, mocks your mother, then to turn around and go, yeah, I am totally all in on this guy. Whatever. It's you know the. This is the only Bush that likes me. This is the Bush that got it right. And as JVL writes, what did this abasement and betrayal get George P? A fat load of Jack squat. It is as humiliating a moment as I can remember. When, I'm just going to read this one thing. Thus concludes the single most craven political career in, honestly, I'm not even sure how long, because no politician in my lifetime has brought more dishonor upon himself than George P. Bush. You know how bad this is? Do you know how bad this is, Amanda? It's Lit so bad. I feel so sorry for Jeb Bush. Like, I want no. to send him a fruit oh, basket Jeb. or flowers because his dad didn't deserve this. No, but George P., 
You know how bad it is for George P? Lindsey Graham is sitting back going, man, have some pride. (laughs) 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 I mean, really, guy, you know? Uh, Elise Stefanik's going, this is embarrassing, really, guy. It's just, uh, all right, so do we talk about the other crazy chapter, which which is not funny at all? which is the the recognition that we have this pandemic of the unvaccinated <sighs> and, and people are getting mad at the unvaccinated. And I'm I am OK with that. I am actually OK um, to say, you know what, if you're behaving in a reckless manner that is um, you know, endangering the health and safety of of your fellow Americans, if in fact uh, y- you are responsible for the fact that people are going to have to wear masks, kids going back to school, mm-hmm. if they are able to go back to school, will have to wear masks. It's because of you anti. I, I'm, I look, I'm, I'm tired of the you know folks at National Review. You know, you need to be more respectful of the feelings of the anti-vaxxers. Nobody says that about drunk drivers, right? Yeah. Uh, Isaac Chotner had a good point. If 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 you're angry at you know drunk drivers who are killing kids, you know people don't come out of the woodwork and says no. You need to understand them um, and appreciate and respect them more. I mean, screw that. So I see that uh, you're you you've never been to the Ozarks, right? No, I have not. I've read about you, it, you, so I don't think I will be going. No, you sent me that. I don't know. I <laughs> do you watch? Do you watch Ozark? The show? No. Oh, it's fantastic. I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you, it's really good. Is it about this <clears throat> lake bar? Well, it's about, you know, people who go to the Ozark. Okay, so here's the uh, political magazine letter from Missouri. What's COVID? Why people at America's hardest partying lake are not about to get vaccinated. Uh, so where do you come down on all of this? Uh, I, I mean, am, you, have, you have kids who are about to go back to school. Yep. I am preemptively angry about the fact that we may have to consider lockdowns this fall because I don't like what other scenario is there going to be if, if we don't get people vaccinated? I just, I I don't want to get depressed. I Mm -hmm. don't even want to think about this, but I am preemptively angry that I even have to consider the fact that my kids might not be in school again this fall. Um, We've had a great summer. We still don't do everything. Um, we haven't done indoor dining because they're not vaccinated. My kids are um, in elementary school. Right. Um, my husband and I are, but there's too many unvaccinated people around. And I know that, you know, it can be transmitted to them. So we are doing lots of outside activities. We've had a great summer, right? We go into stores. If it's not crowded, they don't wear masks because mm-hmm. we don't go into very many crowded places because I actively avoid them. But my husband took my son to Walmart over the weekend and he noticed it was pretty crowded and he asked my son to put the mask on and Chris is going to wear it too. Yeah. And Harry, my son was upset and he kind of came back and said, you know, I asked him where he didn't want to. And I said, well, why should he, why should he have to at this point in time? They did it for a whole year. They went to school every day and wore those stupid masks all day long to keep other people safe. Okay, to keep teachers safe, to make sure that they weren't the ones transmitting it. Eight hours a day, these kids ate outside in the winter their lunches so that they could, you know, not transmit it, be outside in open air. I mean, these little kids, and that's, you know, they did so well with it. They did so damn well, Charlie. They never complained. They were okay with it. And then this summer, we said, you know what? We don't have to wear them anymore after they lifted the mandate in our state. We had a great day. We went out. We got takeout outside. We went to Target without mask on. It was a great flipping day. 
and through then we've even said, isn't this great? We don't have to wear them anymore. We're not going to go in restaurants. We're not going to go in crowds, but this is really great. And the idea that I might have to ask them to do that again, because these obstinate people who are resisting for no good damn reason. I mean, I, no, I, I don't I'm, even I'm, know what level I will be at if we have to go back into doing mass and not going places for another winter. And this is this is all man-made. The disinformation, the arrogance, the tribalization, the the stubbornness for whatever reason they're they're doing this. We were this close, Amanda. We were this close to getting and everything the kids back. Eat it. Nobody cares about the kids. Right. Nobody cares about the kids throughout all this. Even last year, it was like, we've got to get the bars open. What the, what are you talking about? Get the schools open. There's never been a focus on making sure that the kids didn't pay the price. And so they paid the price. What? Are we going to do this for two years? I really don't know how long. And so, and then you have the other people who are like, well, just keep the schools open no matter what. Well, you know, there's long-term damage associated with this disease. I'm not interested in my daughter getting a mild case of Delta and not being able to have full lung capacity for the rest of her life. I'm not really interested in taking that risk. So lately, we've had Republicans who are at least, you know, saying the right things about vaccinations. Um, I, I guess you have to be really, really deeply cynical, really deeply cynical to think that, oh, okay, that, you know, that the, the, the Ron DeSantis and Christy Nome and, uh, you know, Greg Abbott were were casual about all of this as long as they thought that uh, the coronavirus was only going to affect people in blue states. But now that it's affecting the Republican base and red states, now suddenly they care about it. Well, that, you know, you have to be pretty cynical to think that that's why they've changed their tune when they realize that it's their own people as opposed to those other people. And you know what, Amanda, I am here for it. I am deeply cynical. I am cynical yeah. enough to think. And, and you know, part of it, though, is the outrage of the way in which they have treated this uh, as really as a joke. I mean, so now they're saying go get vaccinated. But you guys like guys like DeSantis, who has been a complete demagogue. Uh, you know, passing regulation laws that ban private companies from setting their own rules, from having their own policies. You know, the one thing that we need is government can do a lot, but the private sector can also do stuff. And I think that a private business that says, hey, you know what, if you want to come in here or work here, you need to show proof of vaccination or or some sort of an alternative to show that you are not a, a risk. That is legitimate. That is that's the way to get back to it. And you have some of these Republicans who five minutes ago were all in favor of property rights and limited government and everything. Telling the private sector, no, you can't do the prudent, safe thing. And, I mean, and that's that's the really unforgivable moment, I think, yeah. well, for, for all For it. someone who's supposedly the smarter version of Trump, Don, oh, Ron DeSantis is yeah. a constitutional legal nightmare when it comes to any number of pieces of legislation that he has supported and signed. So let's let's just start there. But the, the question that remains is why are people sort of making the turn? And you're right. We should be completely cynical about it because they are. And it either has to do with polling uh, people in regards to who will be blamed if we go into a second lockdown scenario, uh, the economy, the hit that we would all take if we don't, if we are really not able to come back for another year or so. And I, I would be so curious to see what's happening with the, the, the polling numbers among women. 
because there's been some great reporting in Politico and New York Times about the economic burden that women have carried throughout the pandemic, because they're the ones that dropped out of the workforce in record numbers. They're the ones that can't go back to the workforce because the school and childcare scenario is still not figured out. They're the ones that made permanent changes to their lifestyle after doing this for a year and a half. I mean, people wonder why, why isn't the economy coming back? Well, if you adjusted your whole life for an entire year to take care of kids or family members or to be in a secluded area where you can get keep people safe, you're not going to the workforce immediately, especially if the school situation isn't resolved. And right now people are having those back to school meetings. I am very nervous about how those are going to go. After what we saw happen in Loudoun County, where people were getting arrested, they had to bring in the state police to, to handle how angry people were and to keep things in order. I am very worried <sighs> about what's going to be back. And I do not want to see schools turned into a protest zone by these MAGA folks who want to keep the pandemic alive. Well, there's an interesting debate, interesting discussion, um, you know, in 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 the in business about you know uh, you know how how aggressively do they push people to come back to the office? Uh, there's resistance among some of the young workers. Uh, they're setting their policies right now for the fall. A lot of the finance companies in New York are saying you have to be back in the office and everything. Mm-hmm. But you don't you're not going to be able to resolve this question of going back to the office until you resolve the question you describe. Until you figure out um, are the kids going to be in school or they're not going to be in school. Um, there's there's no way to resolve that that question. And it all comes back, and I know we'll focus on, I mean, there will be a lot of, you know, talk about the mask mandates, but but frankly, it all comes back to the vaccination and to the, mm-hmm. this, this population that has been encouraged by Fox News, some of the talk radio folks, and Republican politicians to, to be skeptical. I mean, this story from Politico, and I'm not trying to make you mad. All right. <laughs> it's too easy these days, Charlie. Uh, no, that's okay. Okay, so let me just talk of the vaccine. This is they go down to this Ozark Lake and all these people are partying. Talk of the vaccine draws scoffs, laughs, and even cussing among the clientele. Mask wearing, which is recommended for those not vaccinated, was virtually non-existent. And in conversations with a flow of customers over Tuesday, it's clear that many are not vaccinated. Depending on your politics, the scene at Blackwater Jacks, where I will never go, is either a symbol of reckless abandon or unapologetic living in the face of a pandemic. It is one pole of the divide that has erupted across the country. You know, this is... This is, again, where I think conservatives have failed miserably because I think conservatives have always understood the importance of what used to be called ordered liberty, which is you balance freedom with your responsibility to the community and to other people. You know, you know, yes, it's okay to emphasize individualism. There's a lot of reasons to do that. On the other hand, it can, if it's not balanced with other values, it can morph into selfishness and a really sort of crass indifference uh, to the, the, the good of the, you know, good of society. I mean, so you get Ron Johnson saying, why should you care? If your neighbor is vaccinated, we ought to care whether or not um, your neighbor is dying. You ought to care whether or not um, people in your community might pose a risk to kids. You you really ought to care whether or not we've created a situation where kids can't go back to school and where vulnerable citizens are going to have to stay inside for another freaking year. This whole idea that, you know, don't tread on me means screw grandma um, is uh, 
I mean, that, that's this, this is one where, again, responsible leaders could have said, hey, we want, we want freedom and choice, but there are limiting factors to freedom and choice. And when I start infecting people with a potentially lethal disease, you know, perhaps I ought to behave in a responsible way that, you know, that, I don't know, you know, you, you have the freedom to, to be responsible, right? You have the freedom to do the right thing, too. And yeah, yet, and where, where, all this where, is where why people go, you know. Yeah, if we, the whole comeback was predicated on the idea that enough people would be vaccinated that through you know after July fourth we would be able to go back to normal, right? Like we're we're not supposed to be in this position worrying about the Delta variant. We're not supposed to have this degree of uncertainty about the immediate future that we're having, whether it comes to our families, the economy, work, whatever. Um. Which is why if, if we get in a bad scenario, there should be no hesitation to place the blame directly on the actors who put us in this position. We know right now that most of the cases are coming from states like Missouri, Texas, and Florida. There should be no hesitation for the other states who have to pay the price to talk about the lack of leadership that put us down this road. I mean, Ron DeSantis is going to have a lot to answer for if this doesn't get better. So will Christine Noem. So will, you know, all these people who said, we're, you know, we're, we're not going to lock down anything. Well, we've all done the lockdowns. That's a lie. Ron DeSantis, they did lock down. They did. No one's pure on this issue. Um, and so just get ready for it. And if we get there, no one should pull a single punch. Well, isn't it, I mean, this is this is how Ron DeSantis has been running for president, Christy Noem, right? His handling of the coronavirus. And you sort of look in his eyes right now and you go, oh, my goodness, maybe uh, all these people getting sick and dying here in, uh, on my watch. It might not help me politically. It hey, might, it might be something? a political liability. Yeah, please. I read something the other day that at the Jackson Hospital in Miami, where a lot of these cases are coming in, half the staff is not vaccinated. I don't get that. What? Yeah, what is that? You're telling me, you're telling me that there are staff at hospitals who are treating COVID patients who are not vaccinated? That blew my mind. Yeah. I mean, you talk about why would we need a vaccine mandate? I never, I never would have imagined that you would have to tell hospital workers you have you might have to get the vaccine as a condition to come back to work. And so, you know, I I guess I'm glad Joe Biden said VA workers at the you know, veterans affairs, medical uh, facilities have to get it. But I, I never imagined you would have to make that request. No. And and again, I, I, I would prefer to stick with incentives and disincentives. But the reality yeah. is that when you're dealing with healthcare workers, when you're dealing with people who work at the VA, uh, I think it's completely reasonable to say, if you want to work here, um, you're going to have to be vaccinated. And if you don't get vaccinated, well, then you're going to have to find a different line of work. And again, I feel like I'm a broken record on all of this. The proof of vaccination is not a new concept in our society. You know, know, you have kids who go to school, you know all of the different vaccinations and inoculations that they have to have. They have not been controversial. And few of those vaccines and inoculations involve something that is as contagious as this. So it is as if the entire country has lost its mind when it comes to this issue. Yeah. So let's just get the FDA approval. Biden, you know, mandate away. It shouldn't just be for healthcare workers. I, I think he should mandate the entire federal workforce do it. 
Well, I also, I mean, I also w- want the private sector to be able to step up because I, th- I think that's going to affect people's choices. And I've, I've said this again, and, I, and I'm not being snarky about this when I say that if you really want to change people's attitudes, require vaccination to go to college and high school football games this fall. <laughs> okay, I mean, how would that play down in Texas? Well, you got to get the NFL players first. <laughs> well, exactly. So you know, the breaking news this morning is. And this comes from the New York Times is the uh, CDC is going to recommend that some vaccinated people resume wearing masks indoors under certain circumstances <sighs> in a sharp turnabout from the agency's position since May. Now, see, you side, that's exactly my reaction because uh-huh. I'm vaccinated and then I'm, and, and, you know, so I have to wear a, I have to start wearing a mask. Indoors I'm not going to go places. I will not of, go places before I do of, that. I'm sorry. Look, I'm I'm sorry. I was I'm telling them you don't get mad, man, Amanda. But I'm getting mad. Okay, <laughs> I have to wear masks because these stupid assholes have not d- been vaccinated. And I'm sorry about all the people saying no. Let's listen to them. Let's be more respectful of these people. No, you know what? If 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 you if your life is affected because of a drunk driver or because, you know, party is ruined because somebody is puking on the living room floor, I'm not going to sit around and go, let's have a seminar on their feelings. You know, it is interesting. The whole fuck your feelings crowd, you know, is interested in like, why are you being so mean to these folks? Why, why are you being so judgmental? Well, I'm being judgmental because we need to judge and this, and there are real consequences. So I don't know. So we, all we need is more sticks. I had the idea, I, I put it in the Slack the other day. Yeah, I, I wanted to see a commercial from insurance agents, from all the Blue Cross, but, you know, make it up. It can be a parody. I don't care. That if you don't get the vaccine and you go to the hospital, we're not covering a dime of your medical bills. Even more so, we're going to fine you. Like, why why, why should we have metal, medical coverage for people who refuse to get the vaccine and then contract COVID and stick okay. it to the taxpayers? I, 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 Riddle I, me that. I, I obviously... At that point, it's, you know, you you have to provide medical, you know, care to people who are sick, but. But but, they can pay for it. But I think it is a conservative free market position to say that the market will price in certain choices. You have the freedom to make the choice, but there is a price to be paid for it. So, for example, now you correct me if I'm wrong. If you are a non-smoker, you pay a different insurance rate than smokers, right? I mean, there are things that are, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that are priced in. Well, why not begin to price in health insurance vaccinated versus non-vaccinated? If you're vaccinated, you get a discount. If you are not vaccinated, you might have to pay an extra premium. This seems to me to be completely reasonable. Dude, I am so fine with that. I recently, well, a couple months ago, got life insurance, you know, did the responsible thing. Mm -hmm. And I I signed up for it not knowing it was going to require like the big blood test and the medical test. They tested me for everything. And by the way, I came out very well. I'm very healthy, healthier than I thought. You're not after a year of maybe you know (laughs) drinking during the pandemic. Um, But yeah, why wouldn't they? I'm actually shocked that vaccination questions weren't already included, given how invasive the rest of it was. It seems completely reasonable. I mean, there's all sorts of things that you do that are going to you know affect your insurability. Uh, You know, home insurance, car insurance, Uh, car insurance. If if you have lots of speeding tickets, uh, you're going to pay more, right? If you've been in an accident, you're going to pay more because it is the assessment of risk. And I understand that some people are uncomfortable with that when it comes to healthcare, but but 
If you have decided that you are going to adopt a risky lifestyle, again, there ought to be consequences. There needs to be accountability. And by the way, consequences and accountability are deeply conservative values. And also, if it requires stigma, um, like the governor of Alabama um, says, you know, it's this is the, you know, blaming the uh, the unvaccinated. Fine. Yeah, yeah. I love to hear her say that. But she also yep. signed legislation to ban vaccine passports. So right. you're a little late to that one, right. Miss Ivy. Yeah, the banning of the of the vaccine passports, I think, is one of the most reckless things. And, and that's the. Uh, um, you know, that, that's, that's, that's the one where I think you draw the bright line. If you've actually made it hard for private individuals to do the right thing, then really screw you politically. All right. So what else are you, uh, what else are we watching? I mean, I'm going to spend most of the day, uh, checking in and out of, uh, the, the hearing. I think that's going to be dominating the news over the next couple of days. Um, and I'm going to be very, very interested to see what the response is because you would normally think that, Having these heroic officers up there makes them a very difficult target. But if we've learned anything, we learn that um, in in this environment that you know there are folks in, in the in the right wing media ecosystem who will trash anyone. So it, it doesn't matter whether you're a cop. It doesn't matter. I mean, you've already seen Tucker Carlson lashing out one of these police officers. No, yeah, that was so sad. Um, yeah, that's obviously the biggest story for the next few days. Um, I'm always keeping an eye on the voting rights stuff. I've taken on a side project as director for Republicans for yeah. Voting Rights, um, which has been really mm-hmm. great. Um, there was a story in Politico yesterday about Democrats finally mm-hmm. freaking out, in quotes, to reporters about the idea that Biden really isn't doing enough uh, to secure voting rights in light of the hundreds of voter restriction laws passed by Republicans in the wake of the 2020 election. And so I, I, I'm frustrated, too. I, it's funny because Biden and Schumer and Manchin, they've all boxed themselves into taking action. I mean, Biden can't give a speech calling this the biggest so. challenge since the Civil War and not, not really do anything. But he's kind of not really doing anything. And everyone seems to think that we can't move on this until the infrastructure deal is done. And riddle me why it's taking them so long to pass trillions of dollars. It should be the easiest thing in the world um, because everyone wants to do it, but it is taking forever. And for some reason, that's putting a hold on the voting rights, which is pretty problematic because many of the states are going to be redrawing the maps and uh, setting their rules for upcoming contests in the next month or two. And so there really is a firm time crunch here. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll just continue to keep looking at that and advocating action, which hopefully will be under the mantle of what I like to call the mansion compromise, which is the most reasonable step I forward so, that guarantees all voters early voting, automatic voter registration, has a good standard for uh, – voter ID, as well as a systematic, clean way for people to keep their voter rolls maintained. And so that's that's where I'll be on the back burner. No, I in, in, in passing, you mentioned the the debate over infrastructure. And, you know, I haven't I, I've, I've said this every single day that I'm not delving deeply, too deeply in, into the back <laughs> and forth, because I think what's happening right now is kind of old fashioned uh, politics. I mean, you know, everybody is making their their demands and their asks right now. Um, you don't have a deal until there is a deal. But but people are behaving exactly as you would expect they would behave, which is that, hey, everybody's got clout. And so they're going to want their thing. And I actually read um, what was one of the passages about how it was in dire shape because there's disagreements about funding for water projects and transit. And I thought, wow, 
that's that's so old fashioned. It's like we're actually, you know, horse trading about so there's something like weirdly normal about that. You're debating water funding and transit formulas. It's like you could have read that in 1947, right? Of course, it's all totally. uh, all under the cloud of of all the other craziness that's that's going on. But but um, this this is one of those things that I, I I actually think they're going to get it done because they have to get it done, and then the focus is going to shift to voting, which also I think, as you explain, they have to get something done. There's no way with, that you go home with nothing. No, I mean, not even the John Lewis Voting Rights Act mansion standing up there and saying, I have a deal. I have an idea. How do you ignore that? How do you not move on that sort of thing? Yeah. And that'll turn into a question, of course, about the filibuster. Um, I've I've written how I, I, I think the path forward on that is to just reinstate the talking filibuster, right. uh, not abolish it outright. You can even narrow it in such a way that it only goes to voting rights. You only have to talk on that. I mean, you can write the rules however you want when you control the Senate, which they do. Um, and so make them talk it out. Right. Because what, what's happening now is that Republicans are basically just ducking this entire debate. Um, He's acting like they don't have to be a part of it. They'll just look what's happening in the states. And they don't actually have to defend what's happening. And to me, if Joe Manchin really wants Republican input, that's the only way you're going to get it. If you make them talk about it on the floor and defend what they're doing. And so maybe just... For this kind of legislation, you don't say you need 60 votes to go forward. You need 41 senators to keep the debate going and make them control the floor and, and, until they give it up. And so I, I think this would be the right way to do it. Or alternatively, uh, Amy Klobuchar, this wouldn't go as far, um, has been talking about putting voting rights proposals in the reconciliation bill in a way that that can be tied to funding. So maybe you give a grant to the states if they do automatic voter registration, et cetera. So there is a Mm, venue mm, to mm. do some things that way, but that's pretty ticky tacky wouldn't be nearly comprehensive enough. Yeah. And and even if you put the money in uh, trying to bribe the states, that doesn't mean that they doesn't mean the Republican states are going to do it. I mean, the fact that they've they've fought so hard against accepting all the free money on Medicaid. This is the only circumstance that I can ever recall where politicians refuse free money and it happens to be health care. So go figure. Amanda Carpenter, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I appreciated it very much. You bet. Thank you. And I'm sorry that I was the one that got angry. So I, 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 it's a refreshing I, change. <laughs> I, I, I apologize for that. Thank you all for listening to today's Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back tomorrow and we will do this all over again.